Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the Nile Nine podcast. It is uh, Nile here, joined by Andrea Cleary. Hello. How are you doing? I'm We're, good. And how are you, listener? How are you? How are you, listener? I can hear you there. How's it going? Good. <laughs> uh, so on this episode, we're going to be talking about Maya Sophia's debut album, Bath Time. We have Luke Sharkey back in the interview hot seat, chatting this time to Friendly Fires in the Central Hotel. And uh, we're going to be talking about some big topics. Yeah, like some kind of weird stuff. AI mm-hmm. and much, much more and uh, songs of the week and all the usual bits. Reasons to be cheerful mm-hmm. as well, which we need right It's now. back. Remember last week when we said it was going to be a weekly thing? Yeah. Week it's two, happening. baby. It's happening. <laughs> but first, uh, from our own personal experiences, from our own personal diary, we went to some gigs this we week. We did go to some we gigs. We actually went to the same gig. Well, same act, different nights. Two different nights. So we went to girl band, went to girl band. It was a place to be. It seems it was a very popular gig. Yeah. Two sold out gigs in Vicar Street this weekend. Um, I saw half the people I know and the other half were there on the Saturday. So I was there the Friday. You were there the Saturday. That's right. Um, I didn't, I wasn't treated to the East Enders theme at the end of the night. But apparently there was a Coronation Street theme at the end of it on I Friday. Did, I didn't notice. Okay. Well, apparently my ears were. That's what like, somebody on Twitter said. Anyway, literally, my ears were ringing for three days afterwards. I like, thought it was one of the best gigs I've been at this year, easily. Me too. Easily, yeah. Just they are incredible. <laughs> they're just such a force. Like they're even though there's not a whole lot of like stage presence when it comes to the band. Like it's borderline. Stage wise, it's nearly shoegazy, like it's very kind of introverted and it's all about kind of powering through the music, which is which is great. But that like wall of sound that they produce is just so it's so magnetic and huge. And yet you can kind of hear every note. I thought whoever was looking after their sound did a brilliant job. Yeah, the whole thing was great. I thought the lights really worked as well. Mm. Obviously, it was the first. Biggest gigs they've ever done in terms of Irish dates, I think, as headline well, they, shows. They played Figure Street before. Did they? Yeah. yeah. yeah maybe I saw them there. about three years ago at Figure Street. They felt like much bigger events this time somehow. Mm. I don't know why. Maybe I've just put that on, on the narrative mm. on it. But, um, well, I think because these events, they sold out and the, fir- the first night sold out so quickly yeah. that it, it felt like there was and a And also buzz. we didn't know if we were going to get them back in the first yeah, place um, yeah. because, you know, Singer has mental health issues and that's uh, has contributed to some cancellations of shows and stuff yeah. like that but the talkies came out this year it's a really interesting album a lot of the set list was actually from the first album i was absolutely it? shocked when they played uh why they hide their bodies under my garage like i w- i lost my 
goddamn mind. I'm not surprised because like you, you saw the reaction to that. I know. Were you, I, were you down I, on the floor? I didn't see the reaction. I was the reaction. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was like maybe three people from the front on you the right hand side. So I was, I like had to like convince my like very slight female friend to like move away from the mosh pit because she was like, I want to go in. And I was like, okay, don't, maybe don't go in, maybe just like stick to the side because that's where we sort of, yeah, like have a little bump and have a little jump around, but maybe don't go right in because there's people literally kicking the shit out of each other. In there. Yeah, I thought it, it, looked, it all looked fantastic. very respectful on Saturday. Anyway. Oh, no, well, that's the, the lovely thing about moshing is that it's it's always very, very respectful. Yeah, and I think people often forget that about moshing, that, you know, people yeah. are looking after each other. Absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, no, when, when that track came on, like everyone around me lost their minds and just, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, it was mostly older stuff. Like they opened on the Friday anyway with Pairs for Lunch, yeah. uh, which I was really surprised with. Um, I thought they would have come out with one, one of the new tracks, but um, like just, just a really, a really insanely good band who have no airs or graces about them, just putting on a good show. It was great. It was really yeah. great. Yeah. And I, I actually ended up, um, so I went to Secret on Friday night. Oh, <laughs> very, yeah, you, very, you very a, different experience different on Friday. to me. <laughs> which is basically like being at a Chiline concert. Uh, all very wholesome. <laughs> uh, it was oh. like young family and young kids and lighters in the air or phones in the air. Um, From what I saw of it, it seemed very kind of bare bones. Um, yeah, I would say it pro- because it was our first headline show, it was maybe lacking in some more lights or some like it, it the band were all set up in a row on a very large stage um yes and i will excuse just, us a moment sorry just, just, sorry yeah thank there you. you go yeah um that's a can opening um yeah they were all set up in a line uh, on the stage and it kind of maybe needed to be a bit more dynamic in terms mm-hmm. of its setup and to look and the visuals were also a bit rubbish uh, okay they're a bit like at one point there was a graph on, on the screen and I was like no. on purpose yeah what was the graph graphing <sighs> I don't know fun and time with secret no it was just uh, it, that would be better I just <laughs> it just a lot of the graphics felt a bit like basic okay. for a, a big show like that um and look it was really lovely her parents were in the audience it was her biggest show anywhere in the world mm. it was sold out what was the crowd like what was the age range i assume mostly female young i would say yeah young uh like 16 to 24 oh, kind of age and a lot case. of parents there with their kids for that's sure, just lovely. It's really nice, yeah. um, and that's why it just felt like a childline gig for a yeah. while. And because was a lot like that too. Yeah, yeah, a lot of parents and babies. A lot of parents and babies <laughs> absent. Um, <laughs> a lot of sweat, uh, sweat. for sure. Um, yeah, I kind of I was glad I was at girl band on Saturday and not Friday because it was nice to have that to look forward to after yeah. something as pleasant and lovely as Sigrid. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was good, yeah. but it wasn't. And she's, she's good live, she can sing live. She's an amazing singer. Great. Yeah, really amazing yeah. singer. And, you know, she did that song uh, from her album Dynamite, um, just her on uh, a little keyboard and over, got overwhelmed and started crying. Because, I mean, why not? Aww. She was definitely taking it in. Yeah. And, um, and she it, loves Ireland. Like she, well, Ireland she's, loves her. She's, but she's she's seems. one of those artists, like she's she's spoken a lot about how much she loves to play in Ireland and 
she's one of the few that I actually believe when she says it. Um, I think so. She like yeah. um, one. Of, I can't remember what the name of the song is, but the one of the ones on her album. She's like, "This is about electric picnic." Oh, <laughs> it's like you know what electric picnic is. <laughs> yeah. That's you're already in her good. And books. you know, you probably she probably knows it's not in Dublin. Yes, I would hope. Mm, unlike <laughs> well, a lot of artists we sure. can talk about. But yeah, look, I think uh, that girl band gig was certainly a contender for one of the uh, uh, gigs of the year. Absolutely, if there 100%. is such a thing. Yeah, I find it so hard to pick when it was um, submitted some choices to the Irish Times for uh, the end of the year and one of them ones was best gig of the year mm. and you're like oh, it's really difficult I to don't, just, I've like, been to maybe like a hundred gigs this year I couldn't even tell you like what gigs I've been to yeah yeah um, unless I write about them immediately afterwards it's really hard to kind of like that's the thing I don't out. write about gigs anymore I only like mm. put them up on Instagram for gigs. yeah so I was kind of going what do I actually, what did I actually go see? Yeah. Um, and I, I thought was, Julia Jacqueline and Julia Jacqueline was one of them. Yeah. For and that sure. was January, wasn't it? Or February. That was yeah, very was early February. in the year. Yeah. Um, and what else did I come up with uh, in terms of gigs? Oh, Lizzo, obviously. Oh my God. Uh, Chromatics. Like Lizzo was two or three weeks ago and I've already forgotten that yeah. I was See, that's at what her. Happens. Like, yeah, like, definitely. You might go to two or three gigs a week and you're like, oh, I've already forgotten. Exactly. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chromatics and Vicar Street was really good. Strokes oh, at yeah. Electric Picnic. That was oh, one of the other ones I had. John Hopkins at all together now but I'd kind of seen him so many times now that it's hard mm. to figure out which time I'm talking yeah. about oh I went to the mountain goats oh yeah may I, tell me about may the mountain goats I have the goats. floor for the mountain goats please uh, the mountain goats is great um, a lot of just just loads of nerds getting together to listen to the mountain goats but they seem to have a group of people who'd been following them around um, Europe so there was a moment where um j- John Darnell, I never know how to pronounce his surname. Uh, He was about to tell like an anecdote, a story that was quite sad, as you can imagine. Um, And he apologized to the group that he could see. He was like, I'm sorry, you you guys heard this in Helsinki last week. And there was just such an awareness that like he he knew these fans from following him around. And the poor Button Factory, I mean, like he played. The poor Button Factory. But I mean, he played... Uh, an encore of like two songs or something like that and then he came back on and he played seven songs and then that's a lot of songs on an encore yeah a lot that's and, half a set list but it was like the crowd were just we could have stayed there all night like it was it was really really something else but then s- someone who worked at the Button Factory had to come out on the stage and be like it's done we can't do any more and he was like oh I can't do one more I've got a song that's like two minutes long I'd really like to play it and then they were having like a conversation with each other on on the stage while we were all like one more two or no I say they were all I was just kind of looking at this unfolding in front of me just being like I've actually never seen anything like this before um and then eventually the lady was like right fine once more and he was like big thank you to the button factory who are going to get into a lot of trouble for <laughs> letting us do this and so the crowd really got behind you know that last song but um, it was it was a really really gorgeous gig. Everyone that was there knew every single word to every song, and he played some deep nice. cuts as well. And not a whole lot from the new album, but a lot that's of the Dungeons like and Dragons that's one, right? the Dungeons and Dragons one, yeah, in League Did with Dragons, dress up which first? is no, 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 they didn't. There was a lot of just you know uh, college hoodies and just like <laughs> college hoodies, people like with their big backpacks with their laptops just like a lot of like computer science looking people and just yeah just people just coming from work well we had people dress up at Lumo actually did you? because we did an 80s night but we didn't say it was dress up but we had a couple of people ah, who dressed up in the kind of 80s who dressed gear. up as what uh you know like you just know they were dressed up as 80s 
people. Right, like curly hair and um, yeah, yeah, that leg kind of warmers vibe. and yeah. Yeah, Excellent. Exactly. I you love know, a leg When you think of 80s, you think of leg warmers. Yeah, uh, yeah that was great night, actually. That was Lovely. A, a really fantastic one. We just announced our Christmas party on December 14th. Um, so that's Lumo's fourth Christmas party. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, another love story sound system playing upstairs. Anyway, that's the pluggy version of, plug. of, of that. Um, but... There's a lot of things coming up down the pipeline and not just Christmas. Um, uh, one of them is possibly the singularity. And, uh, oh, yeah, that's next year, isn't it? I think it might. Well, <laughs> according to Grimes, it could according be any time in the next 10 or 20 or 30 years. Mm. So the context for all this is that Grimes was a guest on the, the podcast of theoretical physicist Sean M. Carroll, uh, a podcast called Mindscape, where she was kind of uh, expounding on the ideas of uh, the intersection between music and technology and AI and how that could impact music and the creation of music. And she said a couple of things that ruffled quite a few feathers, um, which was an interesting thing. So I'll just briefly explain some of the things that she said. Okay. She said things like, I feel like we're in the end of art, human art. Uh, once there's actually AGI, which stands for Artificial General Intelligence, they're going to be so much better at making art than us. Once AI can totally master science and art, which could happen in the ten year, next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I do think there'll be a critical point where there's a runaway effect and we become irrelevant. Maybe it's still far away from becoming what it will be, but will, but it will just get there. I think AI will ultimately get to the point where we'll be able to emulate all our hormones, all our feelings, all our emotions, be able to see great art, and it will be able to understand what true innovation is, probably better than we are. I think this is both great and bad, but I think part of the reason it's great is that I feel like we're in this amazing time where we might be the last artists ever, which feels fun. So, uh, and they talked about how like AI can beat chess players now and how that has made a lot of master chess players kind of irrelevant. Mm. So that was the conversation. There's, there's a lot in that. Like, yeah. Okay. Right. So <laughs> Grimes, honey. So the thing is, AI doesn't exist, right? This is very important to say off the top of this conversation. Artificial intelligence has not been achieved and it doesn't look like it's going to be achieved anytime soon. So I think the the AI that she's talking about is machine learning, really. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, fe feeding a lot of inputs to a machine so that it learns what the next likely output is, I think, is my understanding yeah, that's of, kind of, of, of machine learning. Yeah, that's kind of where we're at with yeah. AI at the moment. And, and so when she says, I think that we're at the end of art, I feel like that would have been a much more interesting conversation and would have ruffled far fewer feathers if she'd said, I fear we're at the end of art, you know, yeah. saying something like, I think we're at the end of art is so kind of concrete and it's such a statement. Whereas I think she probably meant it more as a fear. Yeah. I think because Grimes has been talking a lot about this kind of stuff and obviously had a relationship with Elon Musk and mm -hmm. has been involved in tech in a way, in the sphere of tech because of that. Um, it elicited quite a strong reaction from people who know her and people who actually uh, used to go out to her. Yeah. So Zola Jesus called her the voice of Silicon fascist privilege mm -hmm. um, and went on to say, I don't fault someone for being out of touch, but approaching the future of music and art with so much cynicism can only come from someone who has nothing to lose. I think there's something here where it's about her privilege and Grimes, uh, the position that Grimes is in and the privilege I, I, she has absolutely. as a musician. I think, I think for Grimes, maybe art... Um, Art functions in one way, but she is still a very privileged white woman and art will not function the same way for her as it will for other communities. Yeah. Like art is traditionally at least 
you know, it's it's always thrived in times of conflict and in times of oppression. And I don't foresee a computer ever understand. Like it's it's such a silly conversation to even to have, but it's like art exists outside of tech for a reason. Tech tech serves art, you know, like electronic musicians rely on tech so that they can so that they can make art. They don't it's it's kind of like saying oh all a DJ does is sit stand there and push a button. You know, it's 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 kind of that thing where yeah. or, there's or a lot like, of reduction in in the arguments that I saw. Completely, and yeah. I felt it has been unfair to Grimes, to be honest. Even though, like, I know she's annoying people somewhat with uh, her changes of opinion mm. and uh, changes. Well, of I name think Grimes, Grimes has always like spoken before she thought. To be honest, and I think she she's had this big fear and this big thought, and she's put it out into the world without really thinking about the impact that it has on other artists. Like she might think that because she is pretty much a leader in her field in like electronic music, um, that she has a, a sort of a, like she's some kind of thought leader in the future of music. Because she understands it, was it somewhat. Yeah, you know? it was interesting to know how um, Zola Jesus first talked about how um, this is disregarding basically the idea that music, uh, people make music in order to feel connected and, and connect on a spiritual level. Mm. A, and it approaches the idea of music solely as a commodity, which is actually a fair point because, but that is one of the uses of, of, of potential uses of AI in terms of music to mm. generate background music, essentially. Yeah. Um, and she also went on to say, people saying this is coming from jealousy are operating from the perspective that everyone wants to be rich and famous, which is the sickness born of capitalism. So there's a lot more to unpack there. And I think a lot of people are putting a lot of their own stuff into this uh, yeah. narrative. So Magical Clouds, uh, former Magical Clouds frontman Devon Welch, who actually used to date Grimes and collaborate with her, uh, dis- also described her as Silicon Valley fascist propaganda with her comments. Mm. Um, and then kind of but it took a totally different tact and these things that we have the power to decide. I'm not willing to cynically dismiss our humanity so easily like this. Mm. A hand, small handful of companies profit immensely by pushing people towards a shimmery, perfect Photoshop world we can fight back. You know, that's a different narrative than what she was it, talking it about. It is. It's completely different. What she's describing there is basically the pop music industry. Like yeah. we've, we've always had music that has nearly been designed by algorithms but they've just been it's just been performed by humans you know like you you look at the Simon Cowles of the world or the Louis Walsh's and they they look at graphs they look at sales they look at what is a good return on investment um and that stuff works but that isn't necessarily what the art world is like to say something like this is the end of art or AI will be the end of art is to say that AI is the end of human expression, which is ridiculous because yeah. AI won't exist without us. Unless and in the fairness to Grimes, she did respond saying, I care about the future of art, why not speculate on it? Um, mm. Seems weird to withhold ideas and even weirder that suggesting potential futures can cause so much rage. So then a a, a voice who has a lot of um, experience in the world of AI, Holly Herndon, the electronic musician and academic, who used generative AI voices and instruments on her last album, Proto, and has done so in the past, uh, posted some thoughts on Twitter, more nuanced thoughts and uh, measured thoughts about uh, this kind of idea. Um, and her point about this was uh, that... Uh, kind of similar to what you're saying about it, how it's a tool. Mm. AI tools will cut costs to make generic music and there's commercial incentive to progress this um, for the likes of stock music or cheap music for film and commercials. 
she compares the advent of musical AI tools to the rise of drum machines, which made basic drumming accessible to musicians, but didn't replace great drummers. Mm. And they also sampled great drummers, you know, yeah, like exactly. these, these, um, these beats and these kind of, you know, standards in music didn't come out of nowhere. They have to be based on human experience yeah. and people are, aren't ever going to stop inventing new ways of making music, you know? Sure. And she says, I'm not worried about robot overlords. I'm worried about democratically unaccountable transnational companies trying to exalt under, to understand culture like a robot or narrow AI. Tried to make this point with Proto. This is her most recent album. She mm-hmm. affirms that AI is useless without us. And this is just in aggregate. Uh, this is us in aggregate. That is a powerful metaphor and responsibility. Also compared to like Spotify Autorace, it demonstrates that a company can reform the entire industry by pushing music on people that has no ambition of being meaningful. Music to, music that did not happen in a scene or venue with people and has no goal other than to get on a playlist. This will intensify the more you can automate the process, but I'm optimistic there are plenty of people who demand more of culture so long as we find them. Yeah. Great art is about transformation, not walking the dog, and because music can serve both purposes, it often gets confused. Absolutely. So I think that was a very measured. There was also a good comment on Stereo Gum at the start at the at their article about it. God, it's so refreshing when someone speaks from a place of deep intelligence and thoughtful understanding instead of you know just saying stuff. Because <laughs> <laughs> one of the things yeah. that Devin Wells said, which was hyperbolic in a, in a way, it was like they want us dead. You know, like all right, rein it in a bit. All oh right. look, I've I've absolutely no doubt that you know the Silicon Bros want us dead. Don't get me wrong, or they at least want our money and then they want us dead. But I think the the issue with this whole conversation is that we're within it equating artistic merit with monetary success. And that has never been a way that I or you or anybody that we know discuss music or discuss art or discuss anything that has cultural value. You know, like there's a reason why, um, Muzak isn't called music. And there's a reason why we can definitely auto-generate that, that background music that comes on. That's the beautiful thing about music, right? It can be for everybody. It can be for people who don't care about music. Absolutely. Yeah. And and music absolutely, like it serves a a function. Like if you look at advertising, like in, in advertising circles, there's, there's music being composed by human beings to, to say nothing because it has to be underneath a voiceover saying, you know, the next step in the future of learning is this. And, like it, it all serves that function and we can absolutely, you know, like let tech take over that side of things. But monetary success does not equal artistic success always. Mm. Um, so some of my favorite artists like are not selling, you know, stadiums. Um, and there's there's a reason why you, you can't equate those two things. So I, I think there's there's a fundamental flaw in the argument's inception from Grimes where she is just sort of thinking out loud and yeah. that's a problem. But, but it's a very nuanced uh, debate to have and there is no single uh, narrative to uh, agree on. And that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that I can absolutely say with, with all certainty is that AI will not replace musicians unless there is literally... As long as there are human beings in the world, there will be music. That, and I believe that fundamentally. <laughs> Did you in, see that tweet yesterday? This is a slightly off topic, but somewhat similar um, about uh, how there was these cows in Russia who were, were being given this VR headset. The VR thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because if, if they're showing, if they're uh, in the winter, if they're showing uh, sunny fields, then they'll oh. produce more uh, milk. And somebody just retweeted it was like, this is literally the plot of the Matrix. <laughs> I know. 
was like, oh. so we're not quite there yet in terms of music. <laughs> no, but, we're but not. In terms of music, where are we at in terms of gender equality? Uh, we're not doing so well. Um, well, there's two festivals announced this week that uh, maybe suggest that we still have a long way to go, even mm-hmm. though the likes of Primavera have been talking about uh, how uh, the new normal is to hit a 50-50 uh, Primavera this year had this a year. fully 50-50 gender split. in 2020. Uh, so far, that we haven't obviously seen the lineup, but they have suggested they're going to try and be as close as possible to yeah. that. Um, so what's happened? This so week? I guess the, the first of these festivals... Uh, uh, close to home is Sunstroke, which is back. Um, I was four when it was last on. Yeah, I don't so remember it. I don't remember it, but the, um, the yeah the 11. the older people that I follow on Twitter and and the the kind of music industry are all very excited about it. Um, headliners include Faith No More, Deftones, Jesus and Mary Chain, uh, Killing Joke, Black Veil Brides, uh, Bowling for Soup. Hmm. Mm. Um, I'm looking for a woman. Du, 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 <laughs> well, I can tell du, you where the bitch woman Falcon. Um, Volpines. Um, Hot Milk has a has a, a woman member. Uh, Proudly mm-hmm. Visions, I believe, have a a female singer as well. Yeah. So I think, but see, that's the problem, isn't it? Is that you have to kind of like dive into. It's like, oh well, they have a female basis, and it's like, yeah, yeah basically three mean? Irish bands. Yeah. So Ireland's doing better in terms of alternative rock representation, according uh, to this. Maybe well, not. I don't know. I've always said it, um, but, but yeah, that's... That, those kind of festivals. I'm sure if you looked at the download festival, uh, you would see that you would not get a gender equality split on that. No, that's a speculation but, now. But, but I, I think that like that like there's there's absolutely an issue. I I can't remember who said it on Twitter today. I think it it was in response to a to uh, Sarah from Pillow Queens was was tweeting about um, not this festival, the festival we'll talk about in a minute, but um, about how a lot of these bands are kind of, you know, legacy acts oh, yeah, who yeah, were who were supported initially um, and who were arena ready, we'll say, um, and chances were taken on them. But it just seems like festivals aren't taking many chances on female led uh, artists. So the other... Um, festival that was announced was uh, trans- Transmit. 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 Yeah. Um, so it wasn't necessarily the fact that it was announced. It was more the comments that somebody involved in the well, festival made I, about it that made it worse. I saw the announcement um, initially and I was like, oh, Rita Ora is literally the only woman on on this uh, on this lineup. Uh, so uh, Joff Ellis, uh, who is the festival director, was kind of, you know, called out about this or there was a bit of furore on Twitter about it. And he said um, that more women need to be picking up guitars and playing in bands. We'd love there to be Here a higher... Go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Are you ready? We'd love there to be a higher representation of females, but there isn't, certainly on the acts that we're announcing today. It'll be a while until there's a 50-50 balance. There's definitely several years ahead for any major festival to achieve because there's far, far less female artists. We need to get females picking up guitars, forming bands, playing in bands, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Can I just say to Annie, to Annie, <laughs> to Annie Man out there, please, please, please never use the term females when, just when you mean women. <laughs> but as in, like, I right? There's something about saying 
female artist, but when you say females, oh yeah, it's so much worse. It doesn't. <coughs> that, sound that sounds worse? like you're describing an uh, alien species. It sounds like you're you're describing like oh, there's dogs, there's cats, and there's females, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, this is obviously ridiculous. Female women. <laughs> yeah, female women. Um, but it's it's obviously ridiculous. Um, the idea that there's fewer. Well, he actually said there's less female acts to go around. Fewer, honey. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, it's just, uh, isn't it's pretty this just pretty bland a, fucking festival anyway, isn't it? Well, well Keen are playing, so hold your horses. Hey, you like Keen. <laughs> I do uh, like Keen. But it's like Liam Gallagher, Foles, Keen, Courtneyers, Ian Brown, Sam Fender, um, Louis Capaldi, of course, you know, He's Snow lovely. Patrol. He was good on Jules, I'll give him that. He's lovely. As in. Such a good boy. I just like hearing him speak. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Don't like his music at all, but sure, I'm sure that He's works He's a beautiful for a voice, though. Really, I just love. Voice. I love how you just introduced. He just presented a podcast. I know, I know. Just like, yeah. I just love listening to that Scottish voice. Something really niche about like some local Scottish football club or something. I'd listen yeah. to that all day. <laughs> but yeah, this is obviously ridiculous, especially given, like, like you said, that Primavera had a full 50-50 gender equality. I suppose it just suggests that you know we are paying attention to this more and more, yeah. and you can't really get away with it. Even no. if you're playing, if you're even if it's one of those kind of festivals, you're like where people actually really don't care about this mm. like transmit have you ever heard about transmit festival before like it's a uk festival i, I, I hadn't I, really heard i only it. know them because uh they they came under fire before for having an all-female stage um at their festival and it was like and and then again the reaction to that was like oh well, we're not trying to segregate artists and it's like that's literally yeah. what you're doing like what what's the like i don't i, I literally don't get it we just need less you know old white guys organizing festivals and more they can still be old white guys but yeah melvin who, ben made, who, who made to very it. similar comments about this uh, when he was asked uh, a year or two ago uh, which he's i think he's kind of like rolled back because he realized how like uh, it advised and out of touch it sounded mm. <laughs> speaking of out of touch i don't know if you saw ronnie wood on uh, uh this is just an aside to that i was watching some jules holland this week and yeah. he was on and foals were playing and he was the co-presenter yeah. and he and Jules turns to him and goes, what do you think of that? And he goes, oh, it's great to see some new talent, brand I new talent. And I was like, so you are amazing. Foles, never heard Six of Six albums deep <laughs> and they're brand new talent. Anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess it's just, yeah, it's, it's, you can't get away with this stuff, right, you know, really anymore. It's, there's not enough to say no. there's not enough to go around. And we know that like, yeah, in the reality of booking lineups <clears throat> it is it can be difficult but not because you know people aren't trying and i think the transmit lineup certainly looks like they're not yeah trying. it's not even in the conversation same I mean, with sunstroke my- as well it's like there's not much attempt there to try and address it and i think no. it's up to promoters to address it like well, i don't Mar- see why not marta polaris from um from primavera said it's not difficult once your mind is set when you decide that you want to do this you start looking for female bands and see that you've been listening to them during the last month like that's it it's just if you if you're organizing a festival and you're saying to yourself, okay, I need 40 acts, don't say to yourself, I need 40 acts. Say to yourself, I need 20 acts that are male and 20 acts that are female. And look, this this is I think it's even... easy to do without like compromising your integrity, which is something that Absolutely. like or like uh putting in quotas, which is some the other thing that people often say about mm. this kind of stuff is like, but like you just if, have a consideration. You just you don't like put shit bands on, but if, it's if not that hard. If quotas are what we need, then quotas are fine. You know, it's I don't like think people if, are realistically up for using quotas and I've seen a lot of pushback for quotas mm, in the last We week. say people aren't up for using quotas, but I think no, that to be men I've aren't up for using well. quotas. Yeah, yeah. 
mean? It it kind of makes the artists feel like they're being included be just for you know mm. to get the. Oh, well, I mean, this quota is up. isn't something that needs to be shared outward. It's it's more of a like a personal mission statement for your like. If you if you care about the future of music, then you have to care about yeah. the future of music. You'd equality, be surprised you know? how how few promoters maybe have this in the back of their mind. About, I know uh, this might be an issue. Yeah, you know it's so frustrating. So the more Females. this is brought up, the more it is uh, obvious. Um, speaking of um, females, <laughs> no, <laughs> I was going to say outspoken artists. Sure, um, okay. Amanda Palmer mm. is uh, her Twitter. Uh, bio says she's touring europe and the uk she uh, talked recently about how she was uninvited from the late late because she wanted to come and sing a song about um the abortion referendum mm. that she she wrote after being inspired by the uh, result of the irish abortion referendum um but most recently this is all a bit bizarre to be honest um where do we start with this? Well, Amanda Palmer starts, The Guardian's music editor, uh, which he didn't, uh, snubbed the most feminist album and tour of my career and you'll never believe what happened next. Um, this is in a Twitter thread on her own personal account. And basically she goes on to detail how she's been in touch with The Guardian about her latest tour, one which is very feminist focus, uh, shares a lot of stories about uh, personal experiences of abortion from her and from her bandmates and from people who go to see the show. And then it takes a bit of a turn where she calls out Laura Snapes, who is the deputy music editor of, um, of The Guardian, and says that she's basically had like a personal vendetta against her uh, for years. So strange strange enough for for somebody to be annoyed uh for not being covered uh Laura Stapes then went and outlined how um, she's basically felt that uh, Amanda Palmer has been uh kind of harassing her for a few years um both both online and you know through through her emails and through you know you, you should be covering this and also through mutual friends who they know and to to read Laura's thread it's really kind of it's it's so it's it's really sad to read uh that she's she's felt that she's been so kind of victimized by by Amanda Palmer but I guess the the crux of this is that Amanda Palmer felt like she deserved coverage from she the Guardian. She was entitled to coverage. She was entitled to coverage from the Guardian and she didn't get it. And I have to say that Laura Snapes and the Guardian music editor, whose name escapes me, that's absolutely shocking. Ben? Uh, yeah. They, ben Beaumont Thomas. They both put out statements on on their personal Twitter, Twitter accounts just saying like, there is genuinely so much music to cover here is our editorial process here is how we decide what to cover every Saying week that they don't cover tour dates which you man the power said they yeah didn't cover my tour dates it was like well they don't do that yeah, they, they both said un unless it's like elton john's final tour or like you know somebody's coming back for like a comeback special they don't cover those kind of things and i just felt like you know with amanda palmer the entitlement with which she is writing these things, you know, like she's, she's writing about what, why aren't they covering the most feminist tour of my career? They've been covering a lot. It's not of like, like they've ignored her. 
Well, it's not like they've ignored her, but and it's also not like they've ignored feminism. They've they've platformed tons and tons of black female artists who would absolutely find it harder to get coverage than Amanda Palmer would. But at at the end of Amanda Palmer's um, thread, she basically says uh, that the solution she found was to employ her own. I guess journalist uh, to come with her staff on writer. tour, staff writer to come with her on tour and write about it, which is what you do. That's PR. Like you can't. Like <laughs> there's no if if Amanda Palmer paid me to come on tour with her and write about it. You're am I going to be critical of that? Of course I'm not. That she pays my bills. You know what I mean. Um, so it was just like this idea of of her putting forward this like revolutionary new idea of platforming, like the the, the person she got to write about her is like a non binary person who was writing about like the whole experience of the tour, and that's absolutely great. But you can't employ somebody to criticize or to be critical of yeah. your work because you are paying them that's public relations that's what that is I think that's the thing that annoyed me so much is that there was just this whole call out thread and then at the end of it it's like I've solved it yeah PR it's a, surpri- <laughs> it's a surprising that uh, somebody who's been in the game for so long is uh, seems to be quite clueless about how this uh, has yeah. would make her look and also just about the editorial process in music and why it just, it's not a good look at all. No, it isn't. And like anytime you get any artist given out about coverage or lack of coverage or too much coverage or whatever it is, you're like, it just, it's hard to feel sorry for somebody. Yeah. Um, and like Amanda Palmer has made an amazing career for herself and using the uh, crowdfunding model. And that has been written about extensively. Mm. And she is held up as the, shining light of uh having a patreon page for example Mm -hmm. and using crowdfunding to fund your album and like inspirational for many many people so it's not a personal slight if the guardian don't write about you you know it's like it would be just weird to expect anyone in this day and age to write about you because it's first of all there's so much music but secondly there's only so much time and resources that people have um and thirdly there's no entitlement for anyone to Mm. be featured in anything i'm sure the guardian music editors have more to be worrying about than you know personal vendettas against artists you know and it's it's life is complicated enough without that stuff exactly it's like it's it's, and if you like uh, if you read the guardian music you are in a way putting your trust into its editors and saying, well, I I believe that like as a fan of the work that the Guardian Music produces, I believe that they're going to put good stuff in front of me. That's their job is to make sure that the best stuff gets in front of you. And if you're... And certainly the most interesting, most exciting, like the points it, they were making. Exactly, yeah. And and if you don't happen to make the cut that week, then I'm sorry, but that's how that's how the industry works. Like it's... Also, you're Amanda Palmer. Should, should you not be... Like you're already incredibly successful, like in in your in your work. Interesting should, to know that she also talked about why there was no New Yorker profile about her and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, but she, mean, yeah, and she didn't call anyone out by name there. That was interesting. Yeah, I just think there's a, a strange sense of entitlement there that uh, I agree. should be addressed by yourself. Yeah. Um, I think and not not publicized at all. If I, you have I, that, I'm I sure there are loads took, of artists that have that kind of feeling. Yeah, I think I think she she took the fact that she didn't get the press co- coverage that she wanted as a as a slight against her feminism and her personal experiences yeah. as a woman. But it's not as if these places aren't 
writing about women and writing about personal experiences of women. I mean, it was the New Yorker who broke the Me Too movement. You, you can't possibly say that that these publications aren't supporting and platforming women. It just doesn't happen to be you this yeah. time. You know, it's, I think that, yeah, that just, very again, just points to the sense of entitlement she has about her, um, her art and uh, where she's at in the world. Mm. She thinks she's um, worthy of coverage in every way of, yeah. of everything she does. And that's yeah. just not how it works anymore. Sorry. No, no, um, it, it, it gets to a stage where you have to start paying it forward and start thinking about platforming artists that don't have the privilege that you have instead of throwing your toys out of the pram because you didn't get a guardian Absolutely. Piece, you know, right? Andrea, do you know what we need? What do we need? Reasons to be cheerful. Let's do it. Reasons to be cheerful. Why don't you get back into bed? Reasons to be cheerful. Why don't you get back into bed? Reasons to be cheerful. Why don't you get back into bed? Reasons to be cheerful. One, two, three. new weekly section it's Yay. called reasons to be cheerful because we end up talking about so many depressing things all the time and um, we are going to put forward some uh, nice things that happened they don't have to be music related necessarily um but andrea i'm going to ask you what is your reason to be cheerful this week christmas fm is back it's back today christmas fm the christmas station um i love christmas fm it it it's so funny because there's really only so many Christmas songs yeah. in the world. So they really dig deep into like the dregs of Christmas music <laughs> and play it. And there's nothing I like better than a really horribly corny Christmas song. Um, I'm just so glad that they're back. Yeah. Have you heard um, the Wilson Phillips Christmas album? No. It's very bad. I don't think so. It's so bad. It's good. Worth a listen. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's very bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, you know, the lights are up. Christmas FM is on. I'm putting up the tree on Friday. The toy show's on on Friday. It's all happening. I'm starting to get really excited about the the festive season because Lord knows we need it. We, yeah. it's, that's my reason. Funny, to be my reason to be here for this week is also Christmas related. <gasps> Go on. Um, it's Christmas beers. Oh. So every year, the last few years, ever since I went to Iceland, maybe uh, for airwaves, um, so the Scandinavians and the Icelandics, the Danish and the Icelandics in particular, uh, like to produce special uh, Christmas beers every year, which we, you might see some in the craft beer shops. Um, surprisingly, there's a Tuborg one called Yulbrig, um, which is a Christmas beer which they release every November. And it's basically a, a licorice-infused Pilsner beer. And it's is the licorice-infused... What makes it Christmassy? It just tastes Christmassy. Okay. It makes it taste Christmassy. Okay. Um, and it's just become the thing that I, I like to do when the, other than the regular Christmas things, mm -hmm. is uh, there's a website called Scandy Kitchen. If you use Parcel Motel, you can get 24 cans of uh, Yulebrig uh, delivered to your house. And uh, that is my Christmas beer. Excellent. So it's just a nice thing. This that is I, not sponsored. No. But it, it it's not be. it's just a, a nice thing touch, i was guys. like i love this beer yeah and i love this at christmas time okay. and it's a nice thing to mark it's kind of a nice thing to mark you know you can make mulled wine or you can do all those kind of things but it's like it's also nice just to have something yeah like that so uh, do you make mulled wine do you mull wine i have i, mulled I wine like mulling before. wine yeah yes i sometimes I, I have a serious recipe oh that i can't uh take credit for but uh ocean davis who does a lot of uh uh, cocktail stuff and owns the uh, bar the Virgin Mary bar on mm -hmm. Cape Street um, he once made a drink for me that uh, featured date syrup in it mm. and very very good I would make um, apple mull cider actually 
That is Holy my shit. jam. And that oh, has date syrup in it. Okay. Very, very good. Okay, I'm ready to step up so my mold apple wine juice. Game. And just replace the wine with apple juice, Have you basically. ever had eggnog? No. I've never had it. It's it seems a, weird, man. Not a, not a thing here. It seems like a weird American thing. Yeah. I'm suspicious of it. I'm, I'm, we don't have Thanksgiving. Eggnog. Like, even the word nog is yeah. kind of gross. Egg. Nog. nog. Nah. Like, nah, nope. Eggnog, nah. <laughs> so Christmas is our reason to be cheerful. That's Yay. it. Yay. <laughs> okay, it's time for Songs of the Week. Our first song this week is from Confidence Man. It is called, Does It Make You Feel Good? That was Confidence Man with a song called Does It Make You Feel Good? Um, Confidence Man, um, mm-hmm. obviously, is the original term for con man. Um, that's oh where it comes gosh. from. Yeah. Even. It's just a, a fact I love that I, people, most people don't know. I knew that it was the original term for con man, but I never made the connection with Confidence Man. The band. Yeah. So, yeah, they are a band, uh, a duo led by Janet Planet and Sugar Bones. Janet Planet's a good name. Real name. I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> Chris and Janet Planet. <laughs> Janet Planet. Um, they had a fun track a few years ago called Boyfriend, which you may remember. I think even, uh, I don't know if it was TXFM was still around then, but uh, they played it a lot. Well, I heard it a lot around that time. Mm. And Don't You Know I'm In A Band was the other one. Uh, kind of a kind of fun uh, disco pop indie stuff. This is a bit more nuanced and, uh, dare I say, more confident from them. Yes, you may. Okay, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You may say that. Did you just pick this track this week or did I pick it? Um, I think you technically picked it, but it's also a track that I would have picked. Um, I really like this tune. I really, really like this. I think they're really good live. This is, this is a Nile tune to me. Yeah, maybe it is like if Like when when I heard this, I was like, ah, I bet you Nile's all about this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do like this a lot because um, yeah. I felt like there was a bit of a gimmicky thing going on with their other stuff a little bit where you're like, okay, this is fun, but it's also, this could get really grating because mm. it's kind of spoken kind of silly lyrics and stuff like that. But this, this is, as I said, is a bit more nuanced, a bit less indie dance maybe. It's a bit less, ha- it's a bit more house rather. Yeah, it's more yeah, kind it's of... probably a bit more tasteful. Mm, maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, they are playing Button Factory on September, or sorry, September, Saturday, 25th of April next year. I'm going with a load of my mates. We're Great. very excited. There we go. <laughs> that is Confidence Man. Yeah, great um, Do you know who else, like, do you remember uh, Maggie Rogers released her album in January 2019? Nearly a year, year? Nearly a year ago. Oh my god! Yeah, so she's back. She has a new song. It is called uh, "Love You a Long Time," mm-hmm. and it sounds like this. While I move my hands over here and do great. this.
That is Maggie Rogers. The song is called Love You A Long Time. This is a follow-up track from the album Heard It In A Past Life, which was recorded uh, actually the day before she wrote that song, Light On, that's on the album, and never finished. Um, and says, uh, it's a song about love and all its forms, romantic love, the love I feel for my friends, the love I feel for my band, the love I've shared with all of you. I want it to sound like the last days of summer. I want it to sound as wild as the live as new love feels. To me, this has all the things that Maggie Rogers' song would you would expect from a Maggie Rogers' song. It has has um, a catchy vocal hook, a bright instrumentation in it, and it has references to American places. Um, yeah. And that's pretty much Maggie Rogers by numbers for me. Yeah. It's I, nice. I like it. I think it, it has a kind of a country music sensibility about it, which I like in, I, I liked that in her music, uh, in her album in particular. I can't believe that album was released this year. Like yeah. that feels like... At least two years ago. It's a lot crazy. of music has, has shaken out of I the, know, of the yeah. since then. But yeah, I like this. It's really nice to hear Maggie Rogers back. Um, I wonder if this is a sign of a new album next year, maybe? Um, I, I don't think so. I think it's no, just like a... Just a I'd say it was a, a clever reminder that she released an album so far uh, away in this year. For the end of the year list, of people that course, she had. Yeah. She was... It was this year. Well, consider me reminded. There you go. Um, and I, I did, I actually really liked that album. I really, really liked it. Um, not enough back to, and listen to it much? No, not <laughs> enough to go back and listen to it, apparently. Sure, who but, has um, time for that? No, I must go and revisit it. But um, yeah, this is, this is a, a, a lovely kind of just pleasant tune. It doesn't, you know, tear down the barriers or anything, but it's, um, it's Maggie Rogers doing what she does really well, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, our next track is from Dublin-based singer-songwriter Nisha Roo. This is called Falling Star. That is Nisha Roo, song is called Falling Star. That is uh, taken from her forthcoming EP called Sick Girlfriend. Uh, it was premiered on the last mixtape today. The video was. Um, I in, really enjoyed the previous single she released, which was called Black Hole. We actually mm. premiered that back in May, I believe. I really like that uh, track. This one feels more like it will make more sense with uh, songs around it, perhaps. Sure, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm always just a fan of hearing her voice. I don't think there's a voice like hers out there right now. What does it remind you of? Jazz. Yeah. Like just jazz, like really. I, I can't quite reach back into a reference that makes sense to me, but there is like some 70s or like, yeah, I can't quite figure it out. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't listen to many women who sing as kind of deeply as her. And I, I just think the tone of her voice is so beautiful. Um. I love it in this track along with the kind of 
echoey guitar. It's all very kind of ominous and um, otherworldly nearly, uh, which makes sense because it's kind of about space in a way <laughs> at least the video is um but yeah i i, th I think it's a really a really beautiful track i really look forward to like you said hearing it in an ep sort of mm. scenario but in terms of vocals like I, d I really don't know anybody that's doing what she does like she's just really strong really really strong um do, do you know her song horror that came out a couple of years ago uh yeah was that the one with the video the bob gallagher video yeah. in the church that's pretty amazing yeah fabulous fabulous song probably yeah. not well known enough i'd say no absolutely not like more, more people need to be about nisha Rue, i reckon um I'd like she's, to hear more of that. Kind she's of great. Stuff, yeah. yeah. She's a great guitarist as well. Um, I think, I don't know if she's got dates coming up, but I've. I didn't I've, see any listed anywhere obvious to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I would I definitely catch her live um, if you have the opportunity to, because she's, she's pretty top notch. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Great. That is uh, Nisha Roo, a song called Falling Star. Our final track this week is uh, Herald's The Return of Stormzy. Mm. It is Stormzy and it's called Own It and it has a couple of guests which you won't hear but we'll talk about in a second. Lighters up, one time lighters up Pulled up in the party when you saw me I was lighting up my J So go ahead and brighten up my day Lighters in the air when you're lighting up the rave And it's feeling like I met you here before Girl, I felt your presence when they let you through the door Never had a brother give you everything and more So I take a little piece and then the rest of it is yours, me and more You don't care when I don't tell you But can you taste and I play I don't know where to you They do me with just this guy down my brain Fog loving when I put you in your place I can tell you love it just by looking in your face It's the way that you wind up your waist I'm so in awe, girl, you never have to worry about nothing You know it's yours, you know you're holding Girl, you just holding Cause your body's on fire Show me how to control it And go ahead, you still think you're higher Girl, I love how you hold it I put my hand up Hold it, I'ma be your brother that is Stormzy, new song called Own It, featuring Burn the Boy and our boy Ed Sheeran. Don't you dare. Don't <laughs> start this. Yeah, now. he had to prop up, didn't he? I thought he was quitting music. That doesn't mean other people's music. Was oh, it? He was not going to release anything for a while, he said. Huh. And then he fucking ruined it again. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, this Edward. is it, actually. I, I like this song. Niall, no, you don't. I like this song because it's kind of like, it's like typing into SoundCloud, like Drake dancehall type <laughs> beat. And then you're like, yeah, got it. Cool. No, Gonna no. be doing that. Um, it is from uh, his album, which is going to ruin uh, the plans for end of year. Is this uh, going to be on the album? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah, Heavy is the Head, it's called. It's out on December 13th. It's actually the fourth track we've heard from it. It's called, uh, yeah, this is called Own It. Uh, the other songs that are on it are Bossy Bop, uh, Wiley Flow, and jam. that uh, song Crown, which he played at Glastonbury. Awesome um, yeah. So, how do you feel about this one, though? I'm I'm livid. You're livid? I'm livid. Do you know what? It's an Ed Sheeran song that just happens to have Stormzy on it. And I'll I'll, I'll tell <sighs> you why. You write it? Right. Here are some lyrics. Own it. Girl, you just own it. Because your body's on fire. Oh Show me God. how to control it. Go hit your spliff and get higher. Girl, I love how you roll it. I put my hand there, hold it. I can think of 10 other Ed Sheeran songs that have those exact lyrics in them. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. It's, it's pretty close, shame. pretty close to an Ed Sheeran song. It's hard to argue with that, to be honest. Like <laughs> it's, and then, and then 
Ed comes in for the second verse with Lights Down for the one I love. And it's like, uh, why? It's like, I have a very complicated relationship with Ed Sheeran because I think he is one of the most talented people making music right now. Like he is incredibly talented but oh my god he has stopped making music and he started making content and this is what it is this is like but isn't that not what a lot of um major pop artists have done recently but he's just so blatant about it it's it's like all of these sorts of tracks like any um any times where he's like appeared on somebody else's tracks or basically after sing it was just like, oh, I got it right with that one. So I'll do that. So forever. I'll just do that again and again and again and again. And now Stormzy's complicit in it for some reason. <laughs> like an incredible, beautiful baby boy Stormzy. Like, why are you involved with this song? I hate this. I the absolutely The best thing Stormzy did this week was not the song. It was his Instagram post about yeah. voting. Yeah. Just thought it was a really measured, intelligent way of explaining why you should register to vote if you're not. And why it matters. And mm. also saying, these are my opinions, but you form your own. Yeah. I See, that's the thing like about really Stormzy clever. is that he is just so smart and so politically minded. And he he has a way of getting through to his fans, like to, or, or even people who aren't his fans who might just like know him from around, who might not necessarily feel like they'll make a difference in a vote, for example. But like... He just has a way of get, of getting through to people like that. He's so politically minded. Like even his Glastonbury set was just so wrought with political tension. Yeah, and fuck Boris. Yeah. So so when when you texted me to say we should talk about the Stormzy track, I was like, oh my god, yeah, I have to go and listen to the Stormzy track. It's going to be so interesting. It's going to be so amazing, especially with this with the election <laughs> oh, coming up on the twelfth. Dre from twelve hours uh, ago. And then so this, different. This right really? Are you serious? <laughs> No, it's just, it's it's absolutely nothing. It says nothing. It serves nothing. It's not, it's, okay, right. If I say one good thing about it is I guess it's catchy. But other than that, no, I just, I'm b- bored of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How do you feel about it? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it, like, it's uh, not an offensive song. And mm. for an artist like Ed Sheeran to be on it, I'm like, okay, I hate his bit. I just don't like the yeah. way he sings. Um, but Forget I was like, our this friends, is- girl. I love it when we chill together. Ain't nobody going to feel what we feel together. <laughs> right? Okay. It's, <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. It's bad it's, song. It's lazy songwriting. It's lazy. And I expect more it's from the Stormzy. It's pop hit. Yeah. I hope Stormzy has some fucking man going math man bangers on the album. He fucking better. Yeah, he yeah. needs it. He needs it. He needs it for you and all yeah. uh, Like, Vossy Pop, big, I... Big for your boots. He needs a couple of those tracks yeah, on, on the new album or like, I'm like, come on, man, don't give it away so quickly. Yeah. Don't give away your edge so quickly. And I, also, I like, a, to be a person who represents grime on the mainstream, like, make sure you do that. And don't just, like, go, all right, I'm going to release these, like, ballads and, like, I know. soft dance hall numbers, yeah. pop numbers. Also, I think we're, we're kind of done with the pop dance hall thing now. I feel like that It's ended, been going on for a long, long time. Yeah, it, it, it ended, has like, not finished yet. September-ish, and I'm, I'm kind of done with it at okay. this stage, yeah. All right, well, we'll move on to something completely different yes, from uh, the debut album from Maya Sophia. It is called Bath Time, and... Uh, Let's listen to a bit of a track from it. It is called Hail Mary. It sounds like this. Hail Mary. 
Hail Mary from the uh, debut album from Maya Sophia. Um, Dre, you tell me a bit more about Maya Sophia. She's been around for a number of years now. Yeah, so I've been following Maya for a while um, and I'm just so delighted that there's an entire collection um, of songs listened to by her. Um, she's now Dublin based, but I think she hails from Galway originally. Yeah. Um, and this is obviously her first LP. It's Definitely concerned with um, the personal, domestic and kind of societal traumas of women and and giving voice to to women who have been systemically and historically kind of silenced by the men around them. Um, I find it an incredibly interesting album, not least because of her kind of lyrical capabilities like her songs kind of read like poems um and there's often a lot of layers to what you're listening to um much like a poem so yeah I've just been absolutely completely enamored with this for about a month now I've, I've had it for a while um I interviewed her last month um, yes you have a fantastic had- interview uh stroke review piece up on the thin air I yeah think, you can one. read it on the thin air um i i mean we chatted for ages about this album because i was just trying to get so much out of her about it and she's incredibly forthcoming and, and lovely um but it's it's a really i think it's a it's a stunning look at um femininity not only in ireland but kind of historically elsewhere as well that i haven't really felt like there was this kind of voice given to it before um like, so explain a bit in terms of you know um how that comes across on this album because you, it talks about the shines the light on the, the voices and stories of women throughout mm. history eddie sedgwick is one such uh woman on this album that uh there's a song title about and about itself. yeah so the the eddie sedgwick thing is um is an interesting one. She was a, um, a a kind of a socialite in the 1960s who would have hung around, you know, in the Chelsea Hotel, would have been a bit of a muse to Andy Warhol. And she was a trust fund kid um, and she lost everything um, and wasn't really able to get her head around the fact that she'd lost everything. So she was still kind of living this really decadent life um, and not quite equipped I suppose to to deal with the 
the realities of, you know, fiscal struggles, I suppose. Uh, when I was chatting to Maya about that song in particular, she was telling me that that song sort of started as a as a joke between her and a friend because uh, whenever they do something while they're like very broke and they've no money, um, but it's this really decadent thing that they do. Like my, Maya was telling me about like this one time and it only happened once I ordered oysters to my house when I had no money. And she was like, that was an Edie Cedric moment kind of thing. But, you know, obviously further to that, Edie Cedric was defined, I suppose, by her, by how she looked um, and her, the, the kind of, the, the, vi- the visuals of her um, was, was a really big way that she existed in the world and her story has been kind of glossed over, I suppose. Um, and, you know, el- elsewhere, um, el- Elizabeth Siddle is uh, the, do you know the painting that, um, it's the Ophelia painting of the, sure, the yeah, woman in, yeah. in the water? Um, Maya was telling me about her as well, who she, she posed for that painting in a bathtub um, that was lit from beneath with uh, tea lights, with candles. And they'd gone out while she was sitting for the painting and she was nearly too polite to to point it out. And she ended up getting really, really ill, like fatally ill fr- from that sitting. So there's there's a lot in this about how women's suffering is silenced by the men around them, but also by the kind of internalized misogyny that we have and the internalized idea that we ought not to speak up in yeah. in these kind of times. Like closer to home, there's a couple of songs there about um well Hail Mary, the song we just heard about the yeah. hypocrisy of the Catholic Church, which has a lot of very visceral um imagery in it. Yeah. Hail Mary full of grace, get into the back seat and wipe the dirt from your face and learn to kiss with your mouth open. Learn to kiss like there's still hope. There's a lot of um imagistic very interesting um like visceral lyrics in this that mm. I, I think for me um i'm still listening to the lyrics and i've said it before it takes me a while to get into lyrics before um it would be music first for me and then lyrics and i think mm. this is a very lyrical album yes absolutely um, and i really appreciate the idea that somebody would take this kind of theme and explore it in a really interesting way a yeah. nuanced way an artistic way um yeah, I suppose in in the closer to home ideas, there is there is Hail Mary, which obviously you know, like like you said, it, it addresses the hypocrisy of the Catholic Church holding up uh, the Virgin Mary as being this uh, ideal of um, piety and uh, of grace, and yet we all know what was going on behind the scenes there uh, to both women and men. Um, and then my the the track that when I was first sent the album kind of hit me was the the wife of Michael Cleary, which is a song about Bridget Cleary, who was the last woman in Ireland to be burned as a witch. Um, her She was murdered by her husband, Michael Cleary, and I think maybe his brother um, and some other men because they thought that she was a changeling. Um, and this happened he in... as he believed his wife had been abducted by fairies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so a, a changeling, like, re- replaced um, by... This was the year 1895. 1895, which in all, like, when you think about when you think witches would have been burned, 
last 1895 is incredibly recent. Um, you in, don't really think about it countries. in Irish context either. No, no, no. You, you think about it in terms of Salem, but it, it absolutely happened here. Um, and yeah, she, she was murdered by her husband and um, her, I mean, my, Maya sort of explained this to me while I was interviewing her that, because um, I thought it was so interesting that there's a lot of named women on this album, but Bridget Cleary is never named in, in that song. She is always named as the, the wife, wife of, of Michael Cleary, Cleary yeah. which I think is so powerful because he did absolutely frame her her existence. And then obviously he was her ultimate downfall. He 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 sort of set set out what her path was you know she was a wife she was a mother and then she was a changeling and then she was dead and none of these um none of these kind of um what's the word I suppose like none of these like jobs she had were were ones that she decided titles yeah, yeah, titles, yeah exactly it's it's that she 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 just ha- had to hand it all over to to the man that she was married to because that's what Catholic Ireland was like until actually much more recently than this song is actually set. Um, Interestingly, that song is the only male vocal on the album. Yeah, which is Junior with Brother. Junior Brother. And I, I think he is such a, such a sinister voice on it. It's like he, his, um, his vocal work on it, you know, he, he works in kind of in harmonies in a sort of not, not completely around, but almost around with, with Maya's voice. And he sings at times so low, like vocally, like as in, in his range, he's singing so low and there's something so sinister and yet so kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Just really beautiful. The two of them sound together, but there is this, this idea of them being, I suppose, enemies in a way. Um, and el- elsewhere on the album, there's a lot of ideas of trauma and of death and of women's experiences of trauma being silenced. And I think that it's her her ability to work within kind of literary worlds uh, to tell these stories, like this definitely isn't an album that is like, primarily music forward this is an album where I think you need to really not that you need to sit down with the lyrics like all of these songs you could definitely come away with an idea of what they're about but it it challenges you to look further into these women's stories and I think that's what's so powerful about it her voice is very central to this her lyrics are very central to this Mm. musically it's not sparse is the wrong word, but like in a way that it is paired back in, mm. um, it allows those words to be the central focus for it. Yeah. It. Um, the it guitar is, and the vocals were um, recorded in one take. Like there's no so. real drums on this album. No, no. I don't think there's any drums on this No, album. I don't think there's any drums. There's there's a couple of times during The the Wife of Michael Cleary where uh, the violin or the cello might be hit with the, with the bow, yeah. but that's it really. So it kind of lends the album this kind of strange... Um, place almost because you can't keep time with it it just yeah. drifts in that way and you're kind of drifting through these stories of of these women from the past who maybe you've never heard of and 
So it is interesting in that way. And That's a really good point that there's not a whole lot of like rhythmic hold on it. So it is quite like drifty. Yeah. I hadn't actually thought about that. I keep thinking yeah. about the likes of Grouper and stuff like that mm. in these terms um, or Juliana Barwick maybe. Obviously it's less um, celestial or mm. it's more traditional in terms of instrumentation, but it has that same kind of feeling where you're occupying the space that you kind of step into because there is no, it's nothing to keep time, nothing to mark the occasion, nothing yeah. to mark the, the passing of time in this at all. So it does mean it is, uh, for me personally, I find it a bit more difficult to listen to some of this kind of stuff sometimes. And it depends what mood you're in. Like we've talked about before recently, you know, the FK Twigs album, I'm only really starting to get into that now. Yeah. And a lot of that is to do with seeing her perform those songs on how strong she is. And um, it's giving me a new appreciation for those things. And I think something like this, it's delving, being in a place where you want to delve into something like that, which are harrowing stories about yeah. women from the past. And you're like, this is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> like in many ways. Yeah, because I feel it's like. Very interesting though. Very interesting she's doing something like this. And, yeah. and has chosen a very smart an interesting thing to do a noble thing to do I think in a lot of mm. ways too like you've seen there's been some books about uh, women of Irish history and stuff like that in the last few years but this is um, not for kids basically no you know? and the funny thing is when when I was chatting with, with Maya about the album I was asking her about how she goes about writing about a historical figure because I imagine that to be a, quite a daunting experience and she was telling me that even even when she was putting this collection of songs together, she hadn't really come to grips with the fact that this is a, a retelling of historical women's struggles, that it was only when it was all put in front of her that she realized that this this was a tale that she was telling throughout the album, um, which I thought was really, really interesting. It just goes to show the, the kind of penchant she has for stepping into historical women's shoes and you know she's like an English literature student like so she's well versed in 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 kind of how to or rather in in how silenced women have been have been so have been silenced throughout history and um I I think it's it's like you said yeah absolutely a, a really noble kind of um way of putting together your own trauma as well because there's a lot of while, while there is a lot of other people on this album there's a hell of a lot of Maya here as well um well she shapes those words and those stories she does yeah and I think her her own trauma and her own um ways of dealing with that just slips in and out of these like like she can slip into talking about like pre-Raphaelite uh, models and painters and uh into like the 1960s Chelsea Hotel socialites into her own experience and it it all just flows so easily and so brilliantly that you never really you never really doubt that what is being said is authentic like it's all from somebody who is an expert you know like I I never trust that. Like, there's there's no word taken for granted on this. Like, there's no word that's thrown in there to sound clever. Mm. Um, this is the lyrics on this album are how Maya speaks, and I think that's re- that she's she has such an interesting voice on this album that is just so authentic. We got a copy of the lyrics uh, directly from herself or mm. her PR person, and uh, I would hope, um, I would encourage Maya to put those up on Bandcamp or something mm. like that because I think it does really. 
help um yeah. to process those things um and they're very good lyrics so i think they should they deserve to be uh displayed absolutely on Bandcamp or on genius or whatever it is yeah. but i think they should be there because i think it really does show you they do just read like poetry they mm, really do absolutely. yeah well let's play a bit of the wife of michael cleary the song that we first heard from the album um yeah this is with junior brother as well somewhere Okay, that is our album of the week from Maya Sophia. You can check that out. Um, it's on Bandcamp, but for sure, and everywhere else you can get your music. Spotify. Uh, it is called yeah. Bad Time. Um, any significance to the term Bad Time? Um, yeah, so I think it's it's a reference to a lot of different things. Um, there's a lyric from a Tori Amos, uh, let me find it, song that she listened it's to. It's in your article, which yeah. we will link. Uh, she she listened notes. to it while she was in like the depths of insomnia and the lyric is your apocalypse was fab for a girl who couldn't choose between the shower or the bath which is lovely um, and she also told me about how she loved how kind of trivial and funny the idea of like bath time is um, and then we were talking about kind of ritual and how baths are a way of kind of literally submerging yourself and um, to to kind of, I personally, I think to to get into these songs, you really do need to like submerge into them. And then my own take from it is that bath time is something that happens behind domestic closed, well, locked doors really. And I think there's definitely something in the idea of locking yourself in a room in your own house and wondering why that might be, like what what actually domestically lies beyond the door there. Mm. That um, also maybe speaks to, uh, no, I'd have to look into this a bit more in terms of lyrics, but maybe the idea that, you know, domestic abuse or people, yeah. who, women who are put in a position where they can't, you know, be seen in public in in those terms where yeah. they're put away in private exactly controlled yeah it's it's it, it's a it's an incredibly personal intimate thing is bath time and it's uh for a lot of women the only time they get away from the world and i think that that's a, a really nice parallel with the with the stories that are told on the album yeah okay that's maya sophia's album bath time uh we're going to move on it's interview time we are way beyond what we normally would be in terms of time but who cares it's a long one guys who you're cares? welcome so like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're getting you're getting more content yeah uh, um, so we had a, uh, Luke Sharkey sat down in the Central Hotel with uh, one of my favorite bands over the years Friendly Fires he chat with Ed and Jack uh, about their album Inforescent they were here very recently for a gig and here is a listen to that chat that they had while Luke was trying to hide his coffee from the manager
so I am in out of the rain and in the very sensible surrounds of the Central Hotel, um, trying to hide my coffee from the manager. <laughs> and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Ed and Jack from Friendly Fires. Thank you so much for having a chat with me. No worries. Thanks for bringing us to this yeah, yeah. dark woods, moody uh, hotel. It's um, very moody, isn't it? Mm. Um, Landscape and moody. It's been a busy year. You dropped your third uh, studio album, Inflorescent. Mm-hmm. Um, how have you found the sort of reaction, the general reaction to the album since its release? Yeah, I think it's been really good. Like, I think, I suppose that the album's kind of been, if we, you think of like about releasing the album as being like the, almost like the culmination, like a period of time, you know, now. Like and I, I think throughout that period the the reaction has just been amazing. Like to all to like all the singles that have kind of been dripped out before it, and then then the record itself. So um yeah, I mean it's 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 been it sort of feels like it's pushed us into some slightly different places. Like it weirdly enough, it's been our I mean not weirdly enough, but anyway, like it it's been our I think it's been like our best kind of like reviewed album ever, which is which is quite nice. You know, it's it's nice to be um uh to have some popularity in some like critical spaces that that we have been otherwise ignored in a yeah. little bit and but, you've not been reading the same reviews as me <laughs> <laughs> i've been taking a broad uh, uh like overview of them. but yeah it's um it, that's been good but it, that must be a really positive feeling obviously to have had you know what has been your most well received work be your your most recent one yeah i suppose i suppose that's what that's what that's what sort of one wants to happen as, as as like a kind of career goes on, right? And I guess the risk of taking that big old break was coming back, just only being able to rest on your laurels rather than having something interesting and new to provide people with. And it's great. This is the first, you know, proper tour of the UK we've done since the album dropped. And just seeing the responses to the new stuff is, yeah, the real uh, affirming and was there a little bit of trepidation or fear with given how long the sort of break was between the two albums i mean not that fear but you just have no clue what awaits on you know the other side when you start putting these shows on sale whether anyone is still going to be interested or have you you know in mind yeah i don't think any like you know no one i think we all we all knew that it was sort of you know t- time time passes and like the and the um you know the like being fresh in people's minds is very important in the world of music yeah. as, it, as it is in um i suppose every like entertainment thing well music is probably a particularly um sort of uh it, what am i trying to say i'm trying to say it's very like, fast paced yeah now music, isn't it exactly like music is very fast paced like audiences are really omnivorous like but you know like they it's like you know people who are, are not like fans of like one particular kind of music or yeah. anything like that. And so people move on and people feel things are old hat that were new hat, but 18 months ago or something. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the, the way everything's like sustained itself has been amazing. Yeah. I remember when we first started being a bit envious of those people who were bands in an era where people still bought records, but now I've, very glad that we were around in an area where people still sort of took bands to heart and listened to albums. It feels like to begin a band now would be quite daunting and terrifying. And I'm not sure yeah. I'd want to be starting up With right now. The the landscape, the, the the sort of ecology of releasing and consuming music has probably changed so much in the last eight years. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the way we've, you know, the way we've 
gone about releasing this has been um, real kind of education in how to sort of how you know one must kind of stay afloat. You know, music is like it's kind of a piece of like social media content, really. You know, in the way that you've got to be releasing things often enough to sort of keep the keep your place in the algorithms high and like that's so depressing and the um, well but that <laughs> is just it just it just is it isn't is. it but it's something like, i was very interested to ask you like is that sort of the idea of uh playlist friendly music well like is that would that because you know spotify is the dominant platform now in a great way to get wide audiences to be featured on one of the big playlists anyway for certainly for newer acts um is that something that was even would it even be in the discussion or in your headspace when you're creating music at all well, I think that for us, like the, um, you know, something that sort of became apparent is that like we're, there's not, we don't really have an obvious place to like fit in the sort of playlisting world because we're not like, we're kind of a bit indie and we're kind of a bit dance. So, and I, I think often like sort of Spotify, say uh, editorial people don't really know where to stream friendly fires. Say. So I, I, I that's a, it was a bit of a, I, I, I think that that, but yeah, I, I don't think, I'd, I'd like to think that we probably would just, we, you know, I, I don't think that would affect the way we approach, say, making music in the studio or whatever. Yeah. It's tough because that used to be a strength, didn't it? Where we could be playing Reading Festival and then doing like Creamfields Dance Festival, but to be less kind of compartmentalized in the world is now sort of a, something of a weakness or a detriment to your yeah, own abilities yeah. and yeah. that's a bit gutting but we're not particularly calculating or savvy when we write music i think we're just you know just keen to get anything <laughs> written and you just sort of go by your gut instinct i think if we were more calculating maybe we'd be further but i wouldn't necessarily want to write music in that way i think it would maybe it would achieve more but i think it would kill a little bit of me well i think whatever way that it may affect your playlisting or whatever like that that sort of variety of sound and genre and the sort of sound worlds that you touch upon in inflorescent especially i think is massive benefit to the music um i mean i'm music geek and i listen to the album loads and you just pick up so many different things and i'm like hey i wonder if they listen to this and i hate if they wonder and listen to that i wonder if you could walk me through the sort of it was about 18 months it took to to write and record inflorescence mm -hmm. Because you could walk me through that sort of process, maybe from conception to completion. Mm, well, I suppose, to be honest, the beginning point was, you know, putting the wheels in motion of getting ourselves back on stage again and wanting to get new music to be playing rather than mm. being nostalgia leaning. And I think, I think it would have been like just gathering our thoughts in Ed's, you know, parents' garage back again and getting Can't Wait Forever, Love Like Waves and perhaps like i don't know oh yeah, yeah yeah a few you know rarities that may, <laughs> may one day see the light of day um but it was just yeah sort of learning to create again and just kind of gathering around the computer with a few ideas that we had picked up in that long time off you know we were always there was a few times you attempted to make sort of projects in that yeah, hiatus well we didn't just abandon work altogether we were always writing and working it just wasn't definitely going to be for a third album i think we all just like making music so whether it was for this or for anything else you're still going to be gathering ideas and it's just great to have a whole load of uh you know points ready to draw upon when it comes to needing to pull something out of the bag yeah were you working with andrew weatherhall at a stage no uh, we did a bit of that in um 
about 2013. Yeah, 14 that like, EP came uh, out. That was, yeah, we just did a, a song with him and, and his kind of studio partner at the time um, uh, called Tim Fairplay. And uh, yeah, we, I mean, that's, that track is out. Um, I think there was a there was a moment where we were thinking like, well, maybe we should do a bit more stuff with him, but it never really sort of came. Yeah, really came about. I mean, but we're all still big fans. And was there uh, at what point was it when you were working on Infrarescent that you were like, okay, this time around, this is the real deal. This is going to be the full finished product. Well, we want to get behind this. Well, we kind of um, we'd like that the the sort of Brixton gig that we was like that was our kind of um, big um, kind of like uh, sort of return of friendly fires moment thing was um uh that was in the diary so i we just needed to get some music together like that <laughs> uh for that so yeah kind of yeah it's a bit like when uh do you remember there's a bit in stella street where like um nick and keith, nick <laughs> keith really like, deep cut <laughs> like, a, a, a character mick and keith run the corner shop and there's a bit where they're like He's like, oi, oi, Keith, we've got a, we've got a tour coming up next week. Better write some songs for it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was like it was in the spirit of Nick and Keith from Stella Street. We just had to get some. We, there's no way we could not turn, turn up on stage of Brixton without like some new tunes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was what we were. I suppose that's what we were kind of aiming for. And like, so I suppose that that we were sort of aiming for stuff that would really sound good live. Yeah. Um, I think the first song we've really finished. To uh, to a to like that we were really really satisfied with was Love Like Waves, and so and that just became the kind of first single and the whole thing to kind of kick it off with, um and yeah that's like I don't know that's just gone really that song has gone really really well for us yeah it now it's such a big moment in the live show now, um which is cool because I think that my I, well, maybe one of my concerns when we were sort of doing uh, stuff again, it was like, well, you know, I'm sure we'll come up with some music, but will it sort of, will it, will it be really like significant music for us? You know, will it be, will it be music that like, will it be songs that kind of really stick with people in yeah. the same way that I guess our most popular stuff was done? I don't know. Yeah. Cause you can never really, you can often not can really control that. And, and also it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to write good songs. Yeah, and uh, I think I imagine getting caught in that mindset could be counterproductive to being yeah, creative. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, but yeah, it's it, that's always been good. I think following that, yeah, we were, I think following that we were really sort of buoyed up by the success of that. And so, um, I don't know, I think Heaven, Heaven Let Me In came out maybe a few months later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like at the end of summer, I think, or possibly even autumn. Yeah, it took his... Took a sweet time because there was a bit of a sort of sampling jiggery pokery to be uh, mm -hmm. to be kind of vined out behind the scenes. So that's why that song took a bit of time. Yeah, but yeah, I, and I guess the rest of the album got finished before, um, like in the in the in kind of the early months of this this year. Yeah, um, with uh, Mark Ralph. So I don't know. That's it's a strange. It's been like a total reversal of how we expect to do an album and then tour we were playing shows before we had you know more than two songs tops written and yeah. you're sort of road testing things it's interesting seeing what a crowd's reaction is going to be and then being able to shuffle back to the studio and rearrange stuff and come back out again it was strange yeah. doing like your biggest show when you're just <laughs> very cold and you've got 
not a lot of uh, new stuff under your belt yet. Yeah. So it feels like this most recent, you know, the, the UK tour that's sort of finishing now in Dublin is going to be, um, I don't know, when we're sort of at our peak, I'm really enjoying playing these songs and they sort of always take a life of their own on when you're, the more you play them live, you sort of get more comfortable, you start adding little bits to interest yourself and they just sort of turn into something slightly different, yeah. sort of tweaked mutant of what they were on the record. Yeah. And do you, do you find that you have to almost reverse engineer the songs from studio to live or live to studio? I mean, yeah. I'd be listening to it and just from my sort of layman's ear, there's a lot of layering of synth sounds and a lot of um, what sound like overdub sounds that I imagine wouldn't be very easy to translate into one live band playing. Yeah, I mean, I think we, um, yeah, like there's, it is a slight, I mean, they're definitely like live versions of the track. Do yeah. You know, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it probably sounds quite different. I mean, we, we also use a lot of like programming and, and sort of, you know, stuff on or like audio. Yeah and stuff like that that's that's sort of um i mean i think we've always i like i think we, i mean we've we've always done that since day dot so i don't really never really thought of it as being like particularly like not live to be honest oh yeah yeah so um but yeah, yeah. try and slim back as much as you know yeah as possible to keep it a bit more live and visceral and exciting lots of the parts that end up on the record could potentially be performed by you know a key, a very dexterous keyboard player, but whether yeah. that would make for a more interesting live show, you know, is mm, not even arguable. I think, yeah, it would just be a bit of a waste of everyone's efforts. Yeah. I think as long as we're covering as much as we can live and keeping it interesting. Then... But I mean, but it is, it's very, very live. Is it? What, uh, yeah, I think it's very live. Mm, yeah. It's funny listening, you know, to the live versions. It just becomes a bit more. I don't know, kind of raucous in a good way. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah for yeah. sure. I, I think that's what you'd want. You don't want it to become kind of more flat live, yeah. certainly. <laughs> well, yeah, Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Like, because, I mean, we we do, I guess we rehearse the, yeah, we, I mean, when we rehearse or when we play, um, we don't really hear the thing. I don't, Like, say our, our, our front of house guy, he always records the, um, he records our every gig and records every sound check and he often like sound checks um say, like with the recording yeah so it's really always really interesting to like go into the say go to the into the pit of the venue and hear the recording coming out the um uh the pa as it as you know as as it's mixed for a gig and it and it sounds like bloody hell that's it's quite a lot you know it's 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 so it's, it's very big i mean i know that's like I, that should be obvious to me, but we all have our own private monitor mixes and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, I don't know. It definitely sounds crazily big. Fantastic.
Thank you, Ed and Jack from uh, Friendly Buyers for that chat with Luke Sharkey. Um, one of the many albums that was released this year that uh, I still need to go back and listen to. Mm. God, he sounds so much like George, George Michael mm-hmm. on those songs. Absolutely, like, insane level of, which is obviously a great thing. Yeah. Because um, sadly, we're not going to get any more of that. Anyway. <laughs> Unless you watched that last Christmas. Oh, I don't know anything about that. I haven't seen it. I've just seen people tweeting about George Michael. I was like, what is going on? So is it is- all George Michael Wham songs? Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, it's it's like a Mamma Mia for oh, right. George Michael songs. I won't say what the twist at the end is on air, but if anyone is interested in learning about the most ridiculous twist in cinematic history, please look up what it is. Oh, it's, right. You're going to have to tell me I'll, now. I'll tell you after. Uh, I don't, I don't want to spoil the, okay. the film for anybody, but it is ridiculous. <laughs> okay, it's time for me to ask, uh, what's consuming you this week, Andrea? Um... Uh, Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. I think I started watching a few of those. I've, I never watched any more than I watched all of it. You said season five. Yeah, you want season five? Yeah, I, se- I didn't even I'm, know there was five seasons of it. Yeah, there's. They make five seasons in like two years. I don't know. Like, if it feels to me like Shit's Creek is a new thing, but it mustn't be. It, it, it must be literally going for five years at yeah, least. I don't know. I think season six is coming next year, but um. No, it's been recommended to me by like a ton of people. I actually thought that you watched it. I'd have, I had it no, in my head that you'd recommended no, it, but um, it's brilliant. It's sort of a Arrested Development setup where a very wealthy family kind of lose everything. Um, but I, I think it has a bit more heart than Arrested Development. Like there's more kind of like poignant family moments and okay. that kind of thing. But it is absolutely hilarious um i've laughed out loud many 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 times watching it so that's been completely consuming me and i finished it and i don't really know what to do with myself now very good um what else has been consuming me i started reading um autumn by is it like sadie um something i can't find it autumn book just looking it up by it's not here ali smith um, which is really lovely. I'm still at the kind of beginning of it, um, but it's got a really interesting narrative voice. Um, and I reckon it's one of those books that I'm just going to like seep into and um, not want to leave when I'm done. It's really, really beautifully written. Um, that's it really. But this one's loads of music, but sure, who, who hasn't? Well, we've spent an hour and 20 minutes talking about yeah. it. I've actually, like, in all honesty, I've mostly been listening to the Maya Sophia album, so. Yeah. Uh, I've still listened to the Sorka Richardson album a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I found uh, also one of the tracks we're going to be playing later on from Murley's new mixtape as well, The Intangibles. I listened to that a, bit, a fair bit as well. And But mostly I've been going back and listening to things that have been released this year because I'm in enviarless mode. Of course. Um, in terms of, I haven't been reading anything other than The New Yorker, um, a profile about Darren Brown. Oh, he's lovely, isn't he? Yeah, interesting. I don't know how I feel about him. There was um, an Adam Buxton podcast with him, I think a week and a half-ish ago, which oh, is really? worth a listen. I never listened to that. Never listened to oh, you haven't listened to Buxton? No, not really. Oh, he's brilliant. Great. I'm interview. actually enjoying the Dolly Parton podcast so far. I've only listened to two of them, but I've seen a lot of I'm negativity sorry, the, about the, it. The, the, the what? The what? The Dolly Parton podcast. First, I've heard. Did you not see this everywhere? No, no. I just like so many people were tweeting about this what? or like sharing it, and I was like, yeah. 
I think people are annoyed maybe because I don't, I don't really know why, but maybe maybe the, the next few episodes aren't as good. There was a nine part uh, where this guy sits down with Dolly Parton and talks to her about her life. And, uh, oh my God. I think people seem to be a bit annoyed because he uh, wasn't a big Dolly fan in the original. Like he wasn't mm. a lifelong Dolly fan, but his dad was basically from Nashville and he's grew up in Nashville and his dad was a doctor and became friends with Dolly through that. Is and he a journalist, this guy, or what is I, yeah, he? Yeah, I don't really know, but it's kind of like I, I kind of like it. It's mm. uh, well, I've only listened to two episodes so far. I'm going to listen to it. There's also that Prince podcast, Dolly. which is I think it's something going to happen much more often. It's a reissue of 1999 coming out soon, mm. and it seems that the label have basically put together a four part podcast about the album. Okay, which is interesting because they're talking about like oh the reissue is coming out, mm. but it was like this is interesting content so far. I'll see. I haven't, I haven't listened to it yeah. all. Um, well, it seems like everybody that's in charge of like Prince's estate is totally fine with. Just yeah, they're finally releasing that song Purple Music uh, officially on that uh, extended version, deluxe, super deluxe version is what they call it. Ooh. I was like, oh, wow. He would hate that. <laughs> I, exactly. Like that's a song that like DJs have had for years. I have a like a weird edit of it on vinyl. Like it was never officially released. It's one of those kind of Prince songs that like everyone, people are like, oh my God, I played it once and people were like, how do you have that? I was like, okay. an edit of some, you know, I bought it. Yeah. <laughs> Where else would I have it? <laughs> like he didn't give it to me. <laughs> you know, oh, that, that I didn't know happen. Prince. He's a close personal friend. <laughs> yeah, that didn't happen. Um, I was watching the third series of Easy, that kind of anthology series about love and relationships. Is that it? Yeah, it's I been really a while. Lo- I it's really liked the first like, two seasons. Yeah, about, I really yeah. liked them. I like the way it kind of goes back into and repeats into different uh, uh, various um, storylines and that uh, we people have lives. seen before. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So, um, Mark Moore, Mark Marin is mm. in it again, and the Brewery Boys are in it again. And oh, I liked that. all that kind of stuff. I had it's no good. idea that it's was it. Yeah, that's it's great. a very enjoyable uh, show. Um, what else have I been watching? Um, I started watching season two of The End of the Fucking World. Oh, I don't know about going into that now. I watched, did you watch season one? I did, yeah. Um, first two episodes are, are very good. They are really good. Um, it, it took me, I was like, I just finished. like a finished story though. It wrapped up very, very well at the end, but it seems like they're doing something interesting with season two. It's okay. not just a kind of a, a crowbar in a story kind of thing i've also been watching the new season of rick and morty which is just brilliant it's yeah. just so good it's just like hilarious i'm waiting until it finishes and like out there and weird and I everything i love about like a lot of animation the people go on to me about or go on to me about but you know what i mean like <laughs> like i've never gone into bojack horseman because there's just so many of them oh, to get into me too. Skip well, maybe I will. On, maybe I will. Oh, you told me this before, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I might do that. But um, I just really like, like, Rick and Morty is like a modern Simpsons almost, mm. just like a ridiculous... Has has it kept up its um kind of, is it as wacky as it was before or... Yeah, but it's just really clever in the way okay. it does these things. And it hasn't explored any big topics yet, really, but mm. like, just silly. Silly, yeah. fun, good stuff. You just need, yeah. like, very entertaining, like... Very gripping, considering what mm. it is, you know. Well, I remember um, the first good. time I was, like went the my first go around of watching uh, Rick and Morty, which I adore. I absolutely love Rick and Morty, um, and I got to the Elliot Smith episode w- with the the big thing that happens where there's a bit of a replacement of one thing yeah, to another yeah, yeah. thing, and I 
bald crying and I was like I can't believe I'm crying at Rick and Morty right now this is this show is way beyond what I actually gave it credit for yeah. initially and I think that was it you know when someone's like oh everyone talks about Rick and Morty and then you watch you're like actually first time you watch you're like I don't know what this is Bojack Horseman is exactly like yeah, that yeah I think I just haven't got past that barrier yeah yeah. That surprise barrier. Yeah. Um, so I haven't settled into it. But that's pretty much everything. I've watched the latest episode of The Mandalorian. Still don't know how I feel about it. Um, but I'm going to continue watching <laughs> it because it's Star Wars and I'm a Star Wars fan. Baby Yoda. Yeah, Baby he's Yoda. in it again. He's cute. Yeah. Just I'm not going to watch stories. the show. Um, just very small stories. That's it. Like, I mean, yeah. I'm just like, I can... I'm also trying to watch The Watchmen, but I keep... I'm watching Watchmen. I know. You said this last week. I love it I'm on the third episode and I'm losing interest keep watching third episode there's been five right the next two episodes are two of the best episodes of television I've ever seen like genuinely okay, that's very strong brilliant that's well very, no especially the statement. the latest episode uh, where it goes back in time um is so strong and I haven't read no spoilers, Watchmen please. in sorry <laughs> I haven't read Watchmen in I'd say about 12 or 13 years um so I don't remember anything but I'm really, really enjoying. I'm, I'm enjoying just sitting back and being like, yeah, I'm confused by this. I don't need to know everything about this. Yeah, it's but fine. I just ha- it hasn't been holding my attention so far. I'm just mm. like, I feel like I'm trying to work at something to watch it. Sure, yeah. And maybe I don't need to watch it. Sure. The Irishman is on Netflix as of today. I saw that. So I'm going to watch that. <laughs> I thought weekend. of you. Actually, I'm not because I'm at Other Voices, so I'm not going to be there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Other Voices is on this weekend. I'm, I'm DJing on Friday in Dingle in Guinea's Bar and I can't fucking wait for yeah, it. Yeah, you're sweating for the voices. Sweating for it. I'm sweating for all the voices. Uh, can't wait to go back. Um, yeah, basically looking forward to it. Big time. I won't be at Other Voices, but I'm sure I'll be doing equally interesting things. Going to see any bands that were doing any Dungeons and Dragons? No, I'm doing a fun podcast thing on Saturday that you'll find out about later. Oh, I see. It's a different podcast. Hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're cheating on us. I am. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's allowed. Um, We are not a monogamous (laughs) podcast. (laughs) You can be on other podcasts. It's fine. Thank you. Okay. that's it for most this it week. For us I this week, so. yeah. I don't know if we're ever going to review. I don't in in the rest of 2019 if we're going to review any more albums because I'm not sure if there is any more albums to review. Harry Styles and Stormzy. <sighs> I don't think we need to talk about Harry Styles' album. I think we do need to talk about the Harry Styles. Album. I'm not sure now. I need to talk about the Harry Styles. Album. I'll talk about his pants. Yes. No problem. Fine. His music is less interesting. Fine with that. I'll talk and his at nails. you. Oh, yeah. his lovely nails and his lovely hair. I, I, tell you what, I'll just come in, set up a mic for you. And I'll just go. And you bring somebody in if you want, and you can talk about Harry Styles for Perfect. An hour and a half. That sounds great. I know just the person. I saw you on that uh, No Encore have a special about Death Stranding. So, like, literally, you can do whatever you like. It seems that <laughs> anything goes these days. Anything goes. Where are the standards? <laughs> Shot, shots knows? fired at No Encore. <laughs> Okay, Love that's it for boys. our podcast this week. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash 909. Uh, we have posted the full Mango and Mathman interview from yes. last week on that uh, platform. Uh, so all 37 interview. minutes of it. There's some uh, good bits that you haven't heard from last week's episode in it as well. And uh, yeah, so do consider signing up. Also, as I was saying earlier on, it is... Uh, it obviously is Christmas, so if we need a Christmas present, we're we're selling a banging T-shirt, um, that is on very high quality and sitting right beside me and looks great. It's very, soft, it's very soft. I can very confirm. Soft. Very soft. Premium quality, lads. Anyway, that's another9.com for a shop. And uh, before we leave you, I'm gonna well, we're gonna finish with a song from Marley from Russell Gannon Family, who has a mixtape out called The Intangibles. 
And this is a song featuring a few different people. God knows is on it. Astronautilus and our Leon is on it as well. Song called Naufrage. And I hope you enjoy. And we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye. up in your cup, make them throw up, follow your pride and make them all go numb, beyond the levels that they think that we on, we run the rhythms, the patterns, the seasons are changing, we got them, they're worried, peppered and curried, they're mocking this rubbish, to think that for hours we're covered, our standards were lower, now we push forward, bada 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 bada, the mic can say, grab the mic and say, chant and MC, let your voice be heard, run, let them see, who, who's gonna stop us now? Feel all your bones under my fingertips Whenever I'm in the bed alone I can still hear how you're breathing, Skip Whenever you were too drunk to talk I don't want to be the cameraman Filming your final curtain call I don't want to walk the empty stage Whenever, whenever lights go out 
When you think of the ship sinking, the silence comforts you. When you tip up, the bow slips in beneath the darkened waves. So you deep down, I know you wish that you were sinking too. And I will never reach for you, never reach for you. 